even the things that you don't see is like, how is this good? How did this even, this wasn't even my fault or whatever. Taking complete ownership and seeing it as for you, it's amazing what it does for you. Your outlook will be just completely different. And I think that that's the separator is, you know, even right now in such a, a tense place in the U.S., you know, it's not a racial issue. It's losers against winners. And I mean that in your mindset, like it right. really is. Are you going to be the victim to something or are you going to see this as, man, shit just hit me. How do I react? It's Evie here. Welcome to EML Radio, where we are always talking truth. All of those things you need to hear that nobody else is willing to say. Welcome to EML Radio. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited about this just because I've kind of, you know, I've seen you from a distance. Like people on social media, you think you know them really well. And we align on so many things that I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And like we were just talking about before we started the recording, we've never met. No, not at all. We have mutual friends, a lot of them, really good quality people, thanks to Arate. Yeah. And so I just started following you quite some time ago on Instagram. And the bottom line is I was like, oh my gosh, like the fitness stuff aside, I was like, I love this gal. She is the true definition of vulnerability. Oh gosh. Well, thank you. I've had, it's been a vulnerability hangover for the last two years, I'd say. (laughs) Well, this is one of my major topics that I like to focus on and talk about because I just think it's absolutely so essential for people in life to really ever truly live authentically and with any kind of like authentic joy and purpose is they have to be willing to be vulnerable. And that's something I've had a lifelong journey and still journey with and work on every single day. But I also think in this day and age, it's one of those things where it's just kind of thrown around so nonchalantly as if like, oh, well, if I speak my mind, I'm being vulnerable. Or if I'm bossy and I share everything, I'm vulnerable. And those are not the definitions of vulnerable. No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Being vulnerable is truly allowing yourself to be seen and allowing you to see yourself, right? And that second part, I think, is the key is as much as it helps others, and it really does, it's healing for yourself. Because, you know, I remember I worked with Nicole LaPera one-on-one before, you know, she's the holistic psychologist on um, Instagram. And before she, I mean, she was exploding already when I was working with her, but at that point she was still doing one-to-one. And so I reached out to her and hired her and had the pleasure of working with her last year. And I would deal with a lot of the shame cycles often when things would be going well for me. You know, I would have weekly calls with her, which was great. We did Zooms and I'm like, what is wrong with why can't I share this? And, you know, she reminded me of something. She's like, listen, by not sharing, you're still actually telling yourself that you're still shaming yourself for that place in time. And so it's, yes, it's about sharing it with other people, but it's what you're telling yourself because, you know, I had an affair, a really, you know, loud affair by that meaning we were both on social media, you know, it ruined both of our marriages at the time. And that's been 10 years. I didn't, I was afraid to speak about that those first few years. And when you do the healing, you're fine with being able to speak about it because you know, it's no longer who you are. 
if it's something that's like shame related, you know, and then the other, you know, and I think does become a healing for yourself because it's finally showing yourself some love, you know, and a little bit of like forgiveness, because as much as people think it's like hard to share because of others, for me, when I shared that big part of my life, that was massive, you know, like I, and same with my adoption, you know, I placed a baby for adoption. She was potentially coming back into my life two years ago. My children did not know my younger children. I was so shameful for that place, that time in my life, you know, because add to it my affair years later. Oh my gosh, I didn't want my children, you know, so it's better just to bury it. Right. So that was a huge, huge, like self-healing for me during that time too, was just sharing it with them, regardless of what their reaction was going to be. So <laughs> our listeners and our watchers right now are going like, okay, now I get what you're talking about, about being vulnerable because well, I'm going to let you back up too and kind of tell a little bit of your story, who you yeah. are and what brought you here. But I just want to point out that your ability to speak just so candidly and openly about the things that you've done in your life that you weren't proud of, right? And you can yeah. hear in your voice, like we've never sat in a room together, but I can feel it from you even through this computer screen that you don't shame yourself over those things and how healing yeah. of a process that is. Absolutely. And I've had a lot of it. So to kind of back up, so I was heavy most of my adolescence all the way until my mid twenties. And I tie that in because again, I feel like eating issues on both sides, whether it's like starvation or overeating, it's like not loving yourself. Like you're coping with other things. And I truly believe that discipline equals love. And so I always say to clients, like when you love yourself, you do show up for yourself. You do want to eat better for yourself. You do want to move. So I just, you know, I didn't love myself. It came from a place, obviously, when I first initially started to lose weight. So I tried everything. I watched my mom struggle most of my life till she ended up having a gastric bypass. And I feel like it's important even to, you know, ask your clients like, okay, what's your system? Meaning what's your family life like? Like, I don't care if you're 50 right now. I want to know what your habits were growing up. So, you know, for me, it didn't come from the great habits there. Plus seeing a mom really struggle because we know it's mostly mindset. And me doing them all with her, I mean, she, and I know that, you know, parents do the best they can with what they know how. My mom didn't want me to go through those teasing. And so she put me on all the diets with her. And that was then when it was first highlighted to me, like, obviously something's wrong with me because you don't really see it as a kid until you see that your rules are a little bit different than like my brothers didn't have the same food rules that I had, you know, so it was very much like the show, This Is Us. Like I was the chubby girl and I had four brothers that were like very, very skinny. Were you raised so, as a single mom or no, mom and dad? Oh, okay. And my dad would, you know, again, wanted the best for me, but would say things like, you sure you should eat that? So I started to hide it, you know, because then no one would see it. And that probably became a lot of my love. Wasn't until in my twenties, I had my son now back up in high school. I got pregnant. And this was like, I didn't come from the typical statistic of the teenage pregnancy. I came from a mom and dad home. My parents did well. I was student body president. Like I had a lot going for me, a four of 3.8, you know, like not bad grades or anything yep. that I think really comes more from like, again, other childhood stuff that I'd not healed. Yep. But after that, got married very young and then had my first son. And I did have a moment at a park where I looked around. And I saw that the overweight people that were sitting at the park bench, you know, like they didn't move a lot with their kids. They weren't as active with their kids. And I saw the fit mom, the mom that was out there, packed the healthy lunch for their kid. I saw so much of it related. And I went home that day and I'm like, I have to change this. And I was like 230 at that point. 
So originally I did have the inside out goal. And I think that that's the important thing. You have to come from a place of like, I want to show up for myself. However, getting into the fitness industry after I lost about 70 of those pounds, then I got around other fit people and I started to do the comparison. Whereas, man, when I weighed, like I always compare when I was 180, I remember losing 50 pounds and I bought a size like 14 bikini. I wore that to the the pool and I rocked my shit. Like I (laughs) thought I was, I was like, I am the hottest woman here because I was truly aligned food wise, how I felt about myself. It wasn't until I got into like the deep fitness, you know, where then it was like, I wanted the abs and at any cost. So then I started to become the outside in thinker. Now on the outside to people that worked with me, because I was a coach, I looked like I had it all together and I had, I was small, but I hated myself more at that place in my life than, I mean, talk about food obsession. It might not be overweight, but I was like totally glued to my fitness pal type, you know, tracking and my worth came from that. That's what got me into, you know, coaching. I actually started with when I lost my weight, the US military, the Navy hired me to teach boot camps. I was already going oh. to the gym. I was married to an active duty military member. So I went to the gym a lot and they're like, kind of recruited me. I started teaching for all the men that failed the PRT test. Okay. And they would really in the background there. Really? Like, I got my whole start in fitness by, well, I mean, I was got into it myself to kind of heal from the death of my daughter. Like moving my body allowed me to keep my mind sane. That was really kind of how it all started going. But fast forward, when I first opened my gym, the reason I even like my gym was hugely successful and we got on the map was because I secured the contract to train the county SWAT team. So here I was this female, right? Just out there with all the guys helping them get through their testing. So anyway, not generally. Yeah, I didn't realize that we had that in common. That's cool. Well, what it made me see was I wasn't with them the other 23 hours. So as much as I could help these guys there, and I loved it. I loved to work out. I loved boot camps. I was into triathlons, but it was like, I wanted more because I started working with some of the school teachers that my kids, you know, were being taught by. And I'm like, what can I do? So I started like small mom groups, things like that, that just locally were great. But I was also trying to hit my own goals. So I was online more in the deep fitness stuff. Cause back then this is before Facebook. So that's where I found my husband. He was a moderator on the oxygen forums. So oh, the okay. oxygen fitness magazine. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, more like when you're going from lean to leaner, the math matters, you know, the strategies matter more. Right. And I got really fascinated by that. And by that point I had a few like online clients, but I was full fledged like boot camps. I had just signed a lease on my metabolic mayhem boot camp, And then long story short through that, I had a husband that was addicted to Oxycontin in the veteran affairs rehab at the time, had an affair with Eric. He was my best friend, big, huge mistakes. I've done a whole podcast on, you know, having boundaries in your marriage, all that. Yeah. I've listened um, to some of those as I was getting yeah. ready for our conversation. Yeah. And you know, that was just another, so almost like I went back in time to high school, Amy, because it was like, this was another shameful, shameful place in my life where then my negative self-talk was actually starting to prove itself right. Like I was like, man, you really are white trash. Like, look at this bullshit. You do this back in at your 18. What the freak is wrong with you? Get your life together. Like, I think people on the outside think that you are like, life's great. And when we finally, when everything happened and we had to tell our spouses, it was actually a relief because you're living such a lie. Like it's such a, I mean, I became an alcoholic practically. Like I drank a lot during that time. It was the only way we could cope to like deal with it. To just and, numb um, all of that and just kind of like totally. from the reality of what really totally. we're facing. 
And, you know, I mean, now, of course, 10 years later, I mean, it was a lot of, you know, hard times through that. I mean, through my pregnancy, I ended up, you know, we did try to work it out. And so did Eric. And, you know, we believed in the, you know, just marriage in itself, you know, and, but it didn't work out because having a child involved makes it a lot harder to like, say, cut off a relationship. I mean, now, of course, my ex-husband's actually my podcast editor. You know, we do vacations together. You know, last night, our daughter, so the daughter we had from the affair stayed over at Eric's ex-wife. So we're very, very close now, but that's been healing. And I still even had a lot of shame. Like, I, you know, what we talked about from the beginning, I was afraid to share that when I had that first podcast that someone asked me to come on. And when I saw the title, I literally wanted, because it said I had an affair. I wanted to hear I'm like, if this is not ripping it off, but you know, it taught me, I mean, it did heal a big part of me. And, you know, when we talk about like how food heals us and there's so much of what we don't realize, like what we do to ourselves. And a lot of that is the stress, like the shame that we put on ourselves. Like I look back, I mean, I got stage four cancer within two years after I had Leilani. So right after I had that affair and lung cancer, non-small cell lung cancer has been linked a lot to women or men that have trauma, childhood trauma, things like that in their life. I was sexually abused as a child. So that kind of stuff. So when I started to work with oncologists that would like link me with other doctors, that'd be some of the first places they'd ask is, have you had any sort of PTSD in your life? You know, and they think maybe just even having like that affair just probably lit. It's like the lighter fluid was there and just dropped the match. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it's a lot related, I think, you know, with trauma. Tell us about that time in your life. So you had the affair you actually ended up divorcing. Yep. So I was a single mom. So I stayed. So Eric is from Canada. He's Canadian. So I was in Virginia Beach and I already had my two older kids. So, you know, everything was out in the open. I separated. I had, like I said, a lease on this metabolic mayhem boot camp, and yeah. I'm pregnant. Senses of me. I mean, I'm a one man show. I'm like, what am I going to do? Yeah. I was really blessed that at the time Eric already had a long standing, you know, he's kind of an OG with online coaching. He's been doing it for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So at that point, it was, you know, five years in. He had a four, at that time, it was 350 person wait list. It was like a million dollars on a wait list. Oh, right? Sure. Right, right. And so he was like, but he was very protective of his philosophy. And, you know, he'd never been one to sell out. So he was even, I mean, even though I was having his child, he's like, one, I'm not bringing you on my company yet because I don't know. I mean, I don't want you to represent my name. I've never made a dirty dollar. I don't lower calories for the sake of a, you know, an outcome. So he referred me a handful of clients and said, you got to prove that you can get results and that that results will then, you know, push them to promote you. Because at that time, word of mouth, we had forums, we had no Facebook, really. It was literally just word of mouth. Yep. Yep. And I went from zero to by year two, I was making 550,000. I had a team, you know, I'd hired on because we were growing. And then, you know, Eric and I threw it all. I mean, we didn't get together until Leilani was two and a half. We got married and then I moved up here and then we still had separate companies. And then we finally were like, when Facebook started like charging for ad space and for you to be seen, we were like, we're competing with each other for the same thing. Yeah. Let's merge. I mean, he had more contest prep and I was not quite as much, but we were both seeing that we didn't want to do contest prep anymore. So we merged and kind of refaced the company with no more contest prep. It's such an outside in, it's such a deadline. As much as we love the science part of it, it's fun to watch people manipulate their body towards the end. Oh yeah, the science of it. Yeah, but it was so empty because- From a human standpoint, it's just never- 
Like, so for me, that's not my background whatsoever. I was always into functional fitness, starting Mm. with like lots of, you know, tactical training, training the police officers and then getting into CrossFit myself, which, so I never had a physique goal, but I had such high level performance goals that my physique ended up shifting, obviously. And then once I kind of was bringing my competing years to an end, I'm 47. So at some point in CrossFit, like I ended up with the shoulder and destroying my shoulder. So it was coming to an end and then was launching my online business and got more focused on physique. But I never, from a training standpoint, personally or with clients, I never could bring myself to do this physique training. I think that the science of it is fantastic. But from the human side, I'm like, I just can't bring myself because I know what it's like. You mentioned it earlier when you said you went from being overweight to then when you got really deep in fitness, then all of a sudden you're really on the opposite end of the spectrum and quite arguably even less happy. And totally don't know that, but I have seen it. And so I was like, I never got into that side of the business for that very reason. Cause it was like, I just, I don't want to give people these issues with how they think about their bodies. People already are so down on themselves and shame themselves so much that the last thing I need to do is give them tools to hate their physical body even more. (laughs) Totally. And it does. I mean, you'll get like an email from someone wanting to hire you, for example, and the way they talk about themselves, you're expecting for them to attach a picture of like a 250 pound person and you get it and they look better than how you walk around like every day. And you realize that it is so subjective and you know, why would you want to, you know, I mean, and I remember when I hired Eric, that's actually what really encouraged me, like why I wanted to hire him. I hired him because I go, well, I want to do a show. And I told him my diet history, how I'd come from losing a hundred pounds. And he goes, you have no business doing a show. And I went, how dare you? I was really, really offended at first because here I was like, I've done triathlons. I can do anything I put my mind to. Don't you dare tell me this. And he goes, I'm actually doing you a favor. You have done what most people haven't done, which is keep weight off for like, at that point, it'd been, you know, like seven years. And he goes, do not go into a sport that unless you plant, like if you want to be the best out of it, then genetics do matter. You got to have the white clavicles, you know, all that stuff. He goes, and for the experience alone, don't you'll walk away because I had a lot of weight loss. So like my upper thighs have loose skin, you know, I've had a tummy tuck. I'm very open about it. I mean, losing a hundred pounds, I had a huge, you know, flat. You're going to have excess skin. There's no doubt. Right. So why would I want to get up there to then not look like some of these other athletes? And you know, I told him down the road, I'm like, man, I hated you at that moment, but I'm so thankful that you were honest, you know? I want to point out a word you just said there when he said, don't get into a sport. And then you referred to those people that are doing physique as athletes. And that's what the general public doesn't get. They don't understand that that is a sport. Totally. And I have this health spectrum, like where you're talking physique and then you're talking sport and health lies in the middle. So for people that want to be healthy, if they're only doing it from a physique standpoint, they are taking themselves further away from actual health and wellness. Totally. You lose your period. You like hormones, you know, all of the things, it's not healthy at all to get to that level. I am two and from seven years of competing in CrossFit, which, you know, at five, six hours of training per day, and then it all kind of came to an end. I hit my pinnacle. It's like I won the Alpha Games over in France. And it was like, that was it. I went back the next year and took fifth. And then I was like, I better fix my shoulder. It's time to just take care of this stuff. But since then, that was two years ago, I've put on 30 pounds, 30 pounds. 
I had only like 9% body fat at that point, not on purpose, but just because of my training was so demanding and I was counting all my macros and I counted and weighed and measured everything that went in my mouth for three years. And then two years ago, that world just came crashing down because I had my shoulder surgery and I had really false expectations about really how difficult that was going to be. It was like, okay, I think that I'll be able to get through this in a couple of months. And I knew it was going to be a big like rehab, but I didn't understand like the pain that I was going to go through for one physically. And at that point I had never even taken a Tylenol. Like I just, I'm really careful about what I put in my body. And there I was like on hydrocodone, on morphine. It was like, and I took all 100 capsules of those. I like, I expired my prescription because I just simply couldn't deal with the pain. And I was like, oh my God, I would never even say that publicly because people are gonna be like, she doesn't even take a Tylenol. Like, and here she is taking hydrocodone. But then after that, I had sold my gym and I no longer was competing. I lost completely everything about who I was. And then it was like, I drank way too much. It was like, okay, I'm not gonna take pain medications. I'm married to a doctor. He's like, never gonna like write prescriptions for pain medications, right? So that came to a crashing halt. But I numbed it then by drinking a lot, too many changes all at once. And I just completely lost who I was. And then all of a sudden it's like, I just start putting on weight and then it's easier to go. I don't really give a shit anymore. Like I went from one far extreme to now I went through a huge, huge, really down cycle, really, really down cycle of which no one probably even listening to this podcast, like even realizes I went through that. And now I'm climbing back out of it. But I think that's a good transition into a post that I had seen of yours not too long ago where you've said the different weights that you've been and what a process it really is. And even for people in the fitness industry, I don't think that everyday Joes understand that it's not done. It's never done. I know so much about fitness. I know it's detrimental to take pain meds and drink. Jesus, like, right? Right. I'm intelligent when it comes to fitness and how the body works, but I still did it because you're never done. No. And not accepting that is the hardest thing. Like we even try to encourage clients, like you need to even get out of the deficit and then even take away your, like, let's say you have had the accuracy of, you know, counting calories and stuff. You have to loosen your rules because in order to keep that, like it can't be because of a formula. It's because you've changed. Now, of course, hearing you talk, I totally want to have you on my podcast because that is exactly what needs to be talked about so much more. And then I'm curious too, how that felt during that time. Because when you've had an identity with one body and and a body that's brought you income, whatever, right? Like, you know, there's that fear of what are people going to think of me? And this is the stuff that needs to be talked about, but also to prove that a size doesn't make you happy. You know, two years ago, I was at a water park, practically in a parka, you know, maybe three years ago because I was, (laughs) but you know, like totally covering myself up. Right. And I see this lady walk by and she's strutting her stuff and she had to be, you know, like a size 12, 14. It reminded me of that old me that at 180, Right. And I was in awe because I'm like, if only people would start to see that it's not about a number, it's you living in alignment with where you think you should be. And that's why if you start to stop, look at the end destination and just go, Every day I wake up to keep promises to myself and that's what makes me feel like a badass at night. It's when I don't, you know, and that's why you can see people that are 150 pounds and 250 pounds that love it themselves because like a full figured woman, they're just living in alignment with where they want to be. That's the bottom line. And I think that's where people are mistaken. They think that I thought it, I kept saying, when I get here, I'll be happy. Well, I went borderline eating disorder because I kept waiting to be happy. Hating myself 
like painting my way into a body, which you never end up keeping either because that's not even your identity, right? So you're like a program follower, you know, not an identity shift. No, I giggle now. It's like now that I'm working at, you know, just getting to where I need to be ideally. Like I'm not comfortable where I am right now. And like, I can't do the things like body weight exercises, lots of pull-ups and like, I'm a freaking pull-up machine typically. And now I'm too heavy to do that. So like from that standpoint, I'm not happy about where I am, but I laugh now that I'm like looking back at where I was when I got done competing at like 9% body fat and I'm just fucking shredded from one end to the other. And I can tell you, that I wasn't happy with my body. I would go to the gym and be like, I would obviously take off my shirt and just have my sports bra and my leggings on. And I'd be like, there's this little piece of skin that's like folded over the fucking edge of my pants. That is so unhealthy. So unhealthy from a mental standpoint and from a physical standpoint, because I've dug myself out of lots of hormone issues and I'm still working at it. We've seen that a lot. We get a lot of clients where we set those calories where we think will be what should be a deficit and they don't. They're metabolically adapted. They've tried lots of, you know, restrictive diets and it breaks your heart because then you have to tell them like, well, sure, I can lower calories, but then it becomes a hunger issue for a lot of these people. They can't one handle it. That's not the right way to get out of the damage. I mean, no. you gotta increase calories. You got to absolutely. So they don't, the last thing they want to hear at 100, let's say they weigh 175, 180, and they're hoping they're coming to you to lose weight. And you're like, guess what? We got to reverse. <laughs> yeah, you got to eat more until you're kind of weight stable at where maintenance should be. And if only people would realize that sets you up for future fat loss, like I would make that like their mantra. Listen, right now is your testing ground. Not to mention your testing ground, if you can do this finally for once in your life for no outcome, do it for yourself. Like meaning like, most people are motivated. I hate that word, but motivated by the outcome, right? right. And so I'll have clients that'll be like, well, I got to admit, I'm pretty disappointed that I felt like I worked hard these last two weeks and I didn't see any change. And I'm like, welcome to maintenance. That's the life of the person trying to keep it. And you better get used to that feeling because I got to live in order for me to keep this body I have right now, I still have to live a pretty disciplined life. And they right. think it, I thought it changed as soon as I get, I thought I'd get there and there'd be like this rainbow. <laughs> Like, was I, I arrived and like life is glorious now. Yeah, give like, me my yeah, pizza. Yeah, sure Let me have my mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of yeah. tried to do that for the last two years and I can tell you it doesn't work. <laughs> and that's a vicious cycle because, you know, I do hope you talk more about it. I mean, I definitely want you to come on because yeah. I'm sure, you know, looking at old pictures and I mean, I have them too, where I was even leaner than I am now. And I'm like, it can't be the, re- you know, we've got to get more of the message out that that's not what makes us happy. And also be able to share it and go, I'm struggling too. We're not always on. I love food like the best of us. And so I still, you know, people say all the time to me, oh, you've got it so easy. Are you kidding me? I still know I have to have that discipline there, you know, but at an injury, Add something like that into it. You see it a lot. I see it with clients that I have one that just had her third shoulder surgery. And it's been two years of her just, you know, really feeling down. And, you know, you can't, especially if you've been an achiever and like that achievement, going to the gym makes you feel like you're achieving. I mean, I felt like that working hard made me feel like I was, you know, doing better. And it's so hard for those that then like just need to learn to really like love themselves. You know, that sounds so silly, but it is. It's like, you've got to accept yourself at every weight. Yep. I totally agree. And I feel like actually all of this, I'm a believer in God and all of this was really meant to be in my life because I can tell you at the end of closing my facility after 10 years of which I was a really good coach, 
right? And people really relied on me and trusted me. But at that, I can tell you that when I closed those doors before I had my surgery, I wasn't as empathetic, not nearly as empathetic as I am now. Like now I am who I used to be coaching. Yes. Then I was not that person, right? I was the coach. I had all my shit together. And then all of a sudden you derail it with something big like a surgery and then moving homes and all this other shit in my life. It was like, yeah, I have a whole lot of empathy about the people and for the people that now I used to be coaching. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get it like I never got it before. And I think that's what makes someone a better coach is that experience. I mean, as you were telling the story, I wrote, wow. And I put podcast (laughs) because I'm like, I've got to have you on to talk about it because I know, I mean, it will be for you 100%. It's like Ed says, everything happens for you because then your story will be what you can share because you were this CrossFit athlete. You are the person that, you know, and I'm sure, you know, because everyone talks, you know, everyone says things, but that also is what makes us, I mean, believe me, when I shared my affair, for example, it was like, females aren't going to like me. You know, they're going to think I'm going to be like, that's what we think, right? Yes. Whereas what we don't realize is you take away their power when you share, like you take away anyone's power when you're finally like, I'm owning it. And guess what now? Cause you know, when we had our affair, for example, there was a lady that actually started a podcast, not a podcast, a blog that had a picture of our baby daughter. And it said, adulterers make ugly babies. Are you oh, fucking yeah. kidding me? No, no. We had some pretty, we had some crazy, I mean, cause back then, you know, the subculture in the fitness industry, you got to admit, it's super oh, tight knit. And people do YouTube videos all about like another coach, you know, like they spend a lot of time on other people. I laugh about that now because you'll never see me talk. I don't know what other people are doing because I'm not concerned about exactly. Yeah. But boy, back then with, you know, Eric just having such a successful business at the time and I had a cookbook out and we were online. Yeah. It was crazy what people would say and do. And you know what? We hid first, you know, we always, I took the high road and I didn't ever want to say anything. And, and I did have a lot of shame when I finally was able to share that. I thought about that blog. I'm like, you have no power over me. You know, like now I, I mean, it is what it is. Okay. Yeah. I had an affair. You're right. But my daughter's really cute. So <laughs> that post is, you know, <laughs> but you know, people will say those things, you know I mean? And that's, I know Andy's had it, you know, and he's been very open about it where he's like, it's been a struggle for me because people will be like, oh man, you, you own a supplement company. Why aren't you ripped? You know I mean? Every now and then he's got to block that person. I think one of my favorite speeches ever of Andy's was the first year RT live where he talked about peanut butter and the peanut butter having control over him and how he had to lock it up. And I had so much respect for him being honest with the hardest area of his life was his nutrition. I was like, this is the real Andy. This is the person that needs to share more of that because we all act so big and tough and nutrition is probably the hardest component of your life to really, because we need it. So we need it in our lives. Yet we want to like have this healthy, you know, I try to tell my kids, I mean, there's no such thing as good or bad, but more than anything, listen to your body, pay attention. We're all on autopilot. Like, is it giving you energy? If you want the fruit snacks, have them, but come tell me how you feel in 30 minutes. Mom, I'm hungry still. See, that wasn't the best snack, was it? No, you're right. But let them learn that so that they can be aware, you know? So important. That's a whole nother topic that you (laughs) probably like record something on just on that because you said a lot when you first shared the beginning of your life and talking about how you struggled with weight. Your mom didn't want that for you. So mistakenly, then she leads you down a road of like 
guilting and shaming over food of which was not her intention. Right. And I pound the pavement on this. Like I'm like parents, the best gift you can give your kids is the gift of their health and freedom, mental freedom from struggling and battling with food. Yes. Yeah. You and I need to record. We're going to side line that, but you and I need to record an episode just specifically on that for moms because people want help. Like as a mom, you want to do the right thing. Nobody's trying to fuck everything up, right? Like we're trying to do what's right, but we just do things unintentionally that we eventually will cause our kids harm. Totally. Totally. Let's do it. Love it. (laughs) So one last kind of area I wanted to cover with you on being vulnerable. And I believe that being vulnerable also is tied to embracing struggle Mm -hmm. and it makes it easier for you to be more vulnerable when you're willing to embrace struggle in your life. Agreed. Yep. So when you were diagnosed with cancer, can you just kind of give us a little background on where you were at in your life and what happened? Yeah, I was, so I was still a single mom at that time. So I was starting, you know, running my business down in Virginia, three kids, you know, all under the age of like 13 at that point. So I had my two older kids and then Leilani. And I'd actually had a little bit of rectal bleeding, not, you know, but no pain, no nothing. Right. But luckily I was going in for like my annual. So I mentioned it. And they decided to do a colonoscopy. First, they scraped for polyps. They found polyps. Long story short, I actually was diagnosed originally with what they thought was colon cancer because I ended up having emergency surgery. They removed 11 inches of my colon and basically said, yep, you're stage two colon cancer because it's spread outside of the colon. So we've got, we took some markers and, you know, got your lymph nodes and now we'll put you on treatment. I How was, old were you? So, How old were you? At I this was 35. Time? Okay. 35 non-smoker, you know, I would say pride outside of like my affair. I was, I never, I was, I was raised Mormon, so I didn't ever drink or smoke or anything like that. So when that happened, so I went on treatment for like two years, but knowing stage two, it didn't, I guess, scare me as much. Like I, you know, when you, it's the numbers that scare you. When I found out that I basically was misdiagnosed. So what happened was it spread to my hip, my iliac artery, right on the artery. They decided to do a test and I found out that I was actually stage four non-small cell lung cancer with an ALK gene mutation. They'd missed a part up by my armpit. Like just, you know, so no wonder my treatment wasn't working. You know, I'd done like, I'd had the fanny pack where I would be on treatment for 48 hours, real horrible chemotherapy while I was there. Finding out I had a gene, you know, mutation and that basically in 2018, the year that we ended up joining Arte, I was told I had four to six months to live. I actually found Ed podcast through listening to Joe Dispenza because if you searched at that time stage four cancer one of his first testimonials of remission is a stage four non-small cell cancer person so I found that episode of the two of them together and that day on my way to treatment I was like I'm gonna get healed of this like I've got to go all in on like the belief and from that point on you know I mean that we were already in personal development but not to that extreme of places so I went from being like probably more of that victim and not seeing the power to like, oh my gosh, you know, your attitude is everything here. And, you know, listening to David Goggins and I just soaked that up so that my reality was like, I just started visualizing already the results, you know, all of that. So, you know, and it was interesting to see people through that, like completely different, you know, very much victim 
and don't get me wrong. I mean, there were times it's not like I always showed up feeling really positive. I would really be, I mean, Eric got a lot of my, the brunt because you do take it out on the people you love, just not meaning to, but you're just like, you're angry at the world. You know, I would, he'd always know if I got bad news, it was like that day would usually be a fight just because I'd be just so pissed at the world that I'm just like picking fights, you know? But that adversity, I mean, like the kind of adversity that most people can't even wrap their mind around, right? Like hearing you have three kids, like you're young, you're healthy, right? You're doing all the right things and you end up with a stage four cancer and are told you only have several months to live. That's an adversity that most people can't even comprehend. And I just want our listeners to take away today. Like I tell people all the time, like buck up, you don't have it half as bad as you think you do. And if you can't turn the little things, the little adversities into something positive, you're fucked when anything that really comes down the pipeline at you. Totally. Tension is the test and you can't unfortunately test it until you get in a situation like that. And I mean, I definitely mean Eric laughs when I say this, but cancer was for me. It was a, it was actually, I'm thankful for it because boy, was I playing small in life and boy, was I getting upset about the stupidest things. Like people sometimes get annoyed with how like gratitude I can become, like, especially in the morning when I'm doing my anchoring practices, like there's nothing they can get in my way, but I still anchor like cancer patients that haven't made it. And you know, that's what people have to do. Like when you're feeling sorry for yourself, remember other people that aren't maybe here today with your kids. Like, you know, there's times I don't want to show up, but I'm like, okay, I am, you know what, if this was my last day, Amy, would this be the way you want to end your day? Is this really how you'd want to end? And so for me, it's that kind of thing that I'm just constantly reminded by. And I'm blessed by it because it is why I am a different person. You know, I definitely, for anyone that's going through it, yeah, you don't like to have, I didn't like to have this for seven years, but I do always say, man, this is, definitely set me up to be the strongest person because if I can get through this, you know, I can really get through, you know, anything and anyone that ends up having this adversity, if you can just spin it and go, okay, I'm going to come out of this even bigger and stronger, you know, versus, oh my gosh, not again. You know what I mean? Because that started to, when I started to take that attitude, boy, I didn't go down the great path. But when I started to go, hey, my problems and my pain can become my purpose. It can become my you know, what I really can see out of life, well, then that's the game changer. That is beyond admirable, beyond admirable. And I really hope people will take that to heart, really, and that they have to reach out and listen to people like you, embrace people like myself and other people that have dealt with a lot of adversity and chosen to work that into their life to help them define their purpose versus just letting themselves be victims. Yes. So good. So where is your cancer journey now? Where are you at? So I, well, due to COVID, I kind of had a little bit of a scare. So when we went on lockdown, I actually had my CEA markers. They have them tested every few months. And my CEA markers came back elevated. And then since I couldn't get PT scans, like PET scans and CT scans because of COVID, my doctor is just out of like, I, my type of cancer, because I was in remission, but my type of cancer is a fast acting. It's like a protein mutation where it could come back quickly and that's why, I mean, you have a 95, like you have a less than 1% five-year survival rate. But if you can get past that first six months in remission, it goes to 70% because oh, wow. just, oh. the end of just, it comes back quick. So if you can have space between it, 
So it really threw me for a number because my doctor's like, listen, we're going to put you back on chemo. And I'm like, really? Like we can't, because we couldn't get PET scans or CT scans. So at first I'm like, okay, well I can do this. Well, I lost my hair again. And this is after like being in remission. And I ended up having Ed even on my podcast during that time when I was still, I didn't have the results yet, but I was really trying to live my life as I already did. Like, I'm like, you know what? I'm not believing that CEA markers or anything. And we're going to get to the end of this. But it was hard because every morning I'd wake up and I'd see a bald person. And so your physiology goes back to these old times in your life. So I intentionally, I work harder during these times. Like I will take it. Like if I'm having a low day, I actually go to the gym. I'm like David Goggins where I'm like, I will (laughs) beat my ass in the gym today to prove to myself that your mind is way more powerful than your body. And by the end of that, I knew I was getting my PET scans in June 15th, actually. And I was like, I just kept having like the faith and belief. Like I'm like, everything's going to be fine. I'm not even worried about it. I'd already done the visualizing. So when they came back positive, you know, we'll never know. My, you know, my doctor said, the thing is, we'll never know if it was a false positive back in March. But what I said to him was, this was a good little scare blessing for me because it was like God telling me, you know, Amy, even after your remission last year, you still had, you know, I still had some areas that I was sabotaging. And this in March was like game on, you know, I, and I think I'd feared every cancer patient. I didn't, wasn't told this fears it coming back. And I thought when I would get into remission that it would be like a balloon party. And it was like that for a couple of days, but then you have survivor's guilt and you have the fear of what if it comes back? So now I'm happy I had the scare because that was the one thing I think I was still fearing. And I can finally rip the bandaid off. Like, well, I had a scare. So if I get results in six, because I'll still have to have scans every six months, I won't even go into it with an elevated heart rate because I'm like, I've already beat that, you know, tell myself a different story. You are truly so. amazing. Truly Thank amazing. You. I always ask my guests to leave our audience with one, and I know it's hard to narrow down, but one profound truth that you've accepted in your life that has allowed you to get to where you are today. Gosh, a profound truth is, you know, everything happens for you. I think that if you can really see, like taking ownership also would be kind of a synonym with that, is that even the things that you don't see is like, how is this good? How did this even, this wasn't even my fault or whatever. Taking complete ownership and seeing it as for you, it's amazing what it does for you. Your outlook will be just completely different. And I think that that's the separator is, you know, even right now in such a, a tense place in the US, you know, it's not a racial issue. It's losers against winners. And I mean that in your mindset, like it really is. Are you going to be the victim to something or are you going to see this as man, shit just hit me? How do I react? And you're living proof. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you so much for being on the show. I am so glad that we finally actually got to have a somewhat face-to-face conversation. Hopefully one of these days it'll actually be real live in the flesh face-to-face. I agree. Yes. And would you please tell people where they can find you? Because I've been listening to some of your podcast episodes now and I'm really enjoying it. And I just love, I think you and I have very similar mindset and purpose in helping people to get to a healthy place in their life. So like we need more of us. So let my audience know where they can find you. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm, I have a podcast that's called Effort. And it's not been out long, but I've got, you know, 20 episodes out. I'm Love loving it. it. I realized this has become like one of my favorite things is, you know, doing that. And then Instagram is, I love stories. Like it's more my play place. I definitely don't promote my business enough there. So if people follow me, they're like, what does she do? I just, it's just <laughs> my life. 
and you know, so it's Amy underscore Ladine, and then Effit is probably the best too. Awesome. Thank you so much. I look forward to our next conversation. Me too. Thanks, Amy.